This is Duke University. We are just thrilled today to have um, a gentleman by, by the name of Tom Neiman, um, who's going to be our keynote. And uh, Tom is, um, is the president and CEO of Neiman Capital. He is managing partner for Blue Devil Ventures, and uh, he really has sort of a sincere passion for, for helping Durham grow and, and sort of be prepared for the 21st century. Um, he's a Fuqua MBA from the class of 1991. And uh, I think he's used a lot of the skills he learned here at Fuqua um, to really go out and, and create partnerships uh, where they needed to be created. Um, beyond that, he's just incredibly involved in the community. I mean, to the extent where I, I have a laundry list of things that I just have to read through. Um, he's an active board member of the Dur Durham Tourism Authority. He's vice chair-elect of Downtown Durham Incorporated. He's Duke, he was Duke University's Catholic Leadership Council's chair in 2004. Uh, he's the vice chair of Durham County Social Services, and he's currently serving as the chair and commissioner of the Durham uh, County Housing Authority. Um, for, he also has 15 years private sector experience in, in merchant banking, asset management, venture capital, um, and real estate development and investment. Um, so I, I think you guys are, are really lucky to have such a great speaker today. And without further ado, I'd like to introduce Tom Neiman. How is everyone? Doing okay? Um, well, I wanted to thank the, um, both the Social Impact Club and the uh, Center for the Advancement of Social Entrepreneurship for having me here today. I'd like to also thank the Duke-Durham Neighborhood Partnership. And specifically, I'd like to thank uh, Kyle, who I got to, to know a little better uh, this past spring, um, Tim for the nice introduction, and also uh, Beth and and Matt for um, uh, having a part in inviting me here today. I feel real honored and, and blessed just to be a part of, of your day. Um, you've got a really exciting day planned. I think you're um, um, just being here today and being a part of it. Uh, this is very different than what I experienced when I came to Fuqua. It was like the olden days. It was 1989, and um, we're not complete dinosaurs, but things have changed a lot. And when I look at what the Center for the Advancement for Social Entrepreneurship has to offer, um, I get really, really excited. I look at the, the, the programs and the opportunities and really just all the resources that Duke University has now that weren't there in, in 89 or 90. Not that it wasn't a really, really incredible place. And actually, the basketball was a little better way back then. Um, you know, it's cut to the bottom line, right? Um, but we didn't have opportunities like this day in Durham. Uh, we didn't see you know, the opportunities quite the way they are now to express and develop our leadership skills. And we certainly didn't have the benefit of uh, Professor Dees. We didn't have uh, Sam Miglarizzi, uh, John Burness. I guess I didn't even realize it, but John really wasn't around here in 89 when we got started. Um, I started my journey. Um, I guess in 1989 when I came here to Fuqua. And I think what I want to share with you today is I, I can get a little long-winded because I can, I can get very passionate about any one of these experiences that I've been involved with. But what I'd like to do is, is maybe just start a dialogue with you. Take you know, 25, 30 minutes, try to keep me to that, and then maybe open it up for some, from, for some question and answers uh, for, for you. Um, hopefully, I'll stimulate you know, some interest. Um, when I look at, at my life, I, I 
I tend to segment things and I'm, I tend to get very analytical and my wife, I kind of drive her crazy because I'm totally into numbers. But what I found over the years is I'm totally into people as well. And I think it's that, it's that, that ability to do both. I think that's really what, what gives me the, the, the ability to work with a lot of different people. Um, and I think when I came to Fuqua in 89, what I had was a, a good sense of direction. Um, I came from a big family. I'm one of 11 kids. I grew up in St. Louis, very historic, old city. Um, my mother's all Italian, very passionate woman. Uh, my father was a tax attorney. And I'm very much a creature of my environment. And when I came to Fuqua, I knew that I had to, I really had to kind of set my direction in life when I came here. And I knew what I wanted to do. At least I thought I knew what I wanted to do. Um, but I came here with my wife, Anne, and my oldest daughter, uh, Carolyn. We moved to Durham. We came with the intent of staying in Durham. Now, is there anyone out here? How many of you actually came to Fuqua with the intent to stay in this area? Is there anyone out there? One, two, three, four. How many would stay here if there was a good opportunity? We're all looking for jobs, right? Yeah, OK. All right. Um, how many of you, while I'm on that subject of, of a little more background, how many are international students? Yeah, it's like the United Nations out there. Um, we were about, I think, 19 or 20% international students, and I believe it's about 38% now, it's, which I think it bodes well for this class. It's just another opportunity to work with a more diverse group of people. And when I was at Fuqua, I came, and I was, I was somewhat I won't say I totally had my blinders on, but I knew that I wanted to be a merchant banker. I knew that I was entrepreneurial. I knew that I wanted to take risk. I came from a Catholic family, and I, I didn't know that I was passionate about, you know, really wanting to, to help and serve people. But I think that was the nature of, of my family environment. It was, you had to, if you were one of 11, one, you got to the bathroom early in the morning. Um, <laughs> Or you took a shower the night before, because when dad came in the next day, everyone it was like the Red Sea parting, you know. Here comes dad, look out. He needs one of the two bathrooms. Um, but the other thing it taught me was to, to work within you know, a structure and a framework and, and get along with people. Um, it also taught me to find a voice, or I would get lost in the crowd. So when I came to Fuqua, I came with the intention of, of making the most of this, these two, two years. And I would encourage all of you, you know, don't don't take any time off. I mean, relax, have a little uh, chill time, or whatever you want to call it. But really, really, you're spending some serious money, or someone sponsoring you. Really get everything you possibly can out of these two years. And I think I did that to a certain degree. I, I went a little heavy on the finance and, and accounting and tax and securities law, and a little. Uh, I was a little weak on some of the softer subjects. But it's panned out pretty well. I figured I could probably pick a lot of the soft stuff up over time. But while I was here, um, I realized that working in a team environment was, it was more challenging, I think, than I thought it was, it was going to be, because I was kind of into myself. I was a little bit introverted when, and, and some people find that very um, odd that, that I would say I'm introverted. But I'm, I'm actually very analytical, and I, I tend to look inward at myself. and. And I tend to be more self-conscious than people would think at this point in my life. And Fuqua taught me to, to really come out of my shell. Um, my classmates you know, started to bring the best out of me. And um, after two years, I looked for an opportunity in the area. 
and one thing led to another, and I went to work for the um, Duke University Management Company, which is the asset management group for Duke University. Um, after two years there, um, I realized that, you know, sitting behind a big desk and looking at deals, it wasn't a bad experience. I was a private equity analyst, and I got some great experience there, but I really felt I had to be kind of on the, on the line and in the business. And we actually made one direct investment, and I served as a chief operating officer in a small company. After that experience, I knew this was absolutely my calling. I've got to be in a company. I've got to be trying to make things happen. I've got to use all these skills that I've gained over my life and at Fuqua, and I've got to put them to a higher and better use. I just always wanted to keep leveraging off of what I felt were, were God's gifts to me. Um, more children started to arrive. Um, I had a second, actually I need to back up. A baby beeper went off during my second semester, first year during, I think it was called quantitative analysis. Thank God I was doing well. And it was my second baby, so I proceeded to finish the, I called my wife, I stepped out of the exam, um, asked permission of course. Uh, called my wife, she said that the contractions were, I don't know, three or four minutes apart. I'm like, do you think we have time? She said, that's fine. I went back, finished the exam. Um, <laughs> Went home, actually, to the house Sam Miglarisi bought. Sam bought my house. Thank you, Sam, when he moved to town. Um, we went about an hour and a half um, with the breathing exercises, went to the hospital, and a couple hours later, my second daughter, Meg, arrived. Since then, two other daughters have arrived. They're really, you know, I got to tell you that they're, um, you know, they're just um, my real pride and joy. Um, aside from my family, the community has always been really important to me. Um, the experience I had at the, the management company um, prepared me to go out and really, I think, become an entrepreneur. Um, the skills that I developed through my family relationships and with Fuqua and, and developing uh, a lot of these business relationships started to give me, you know, really a framework um, of how I could have a social impact as well as have a business impact. Um, after the Duke Management Company, um, I went to work with an entrepreneur, um, a doctor, uh, a physician, really, really smart guy, went to Duke. Um, and I was a young CFO, I was green to healthcare. And after two years there, um, I was confronted with some challenges. And I think the lesson I learned in that experience, you learn a lot of what not to do. You could study me as an entrepreneur, okay, and learn what not to do in business. And I think I had several experiences where I was with entrepreneurs, and I would study them, and I would say, oh, good, I'm not going to do that. Um, oh, I don't want to do that. But at the same time, I would look at these individuals. Uh, Clay Hamner was one of them, and then Dr. Sather, and I would be like, there's things that they do really, really remarkably well, and there's a certain way they go about doing things, and that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to take the best of those experiences. I wanted to take what my mother and father instilled with, in me, and then I started to think, how could I combine these interests? And I don't think I fully combined them until I got a little further um, in my journey. Um, after, um, Working with Dr. Sather, it was 1994, and I realized that the third baby was, actually the fourth child was on the way, Charlotte. She was, my wife was due in November, and I was confronted with the challenge, do I stay and, and maybe stay in a position that seems a little uncomfortable to me at this point after two years? 
The bottom line is he promised me just a little bit of equity and, and it wasn't forthcoming. So um, I was like, I need to maybe move on. So I started Neiman Capital. I, I took the big plunge. Um, that was the, the fall of 1994. Set out to do you know a little bit of real estate because I had a background in that when I was at uh, Montrose Capital while I was in Fuqua. I worked as an, an associate uh, over the summer and my second year here um, with uh, Clay Hamner and Terry Sanford Jr. And so I went out to do, you know, look at real estate. I was writing business plans, um, doing some consulting, and, and basically just finding a way to make a living. Um, but finding a way, finding my way to make a living, doing it uh, essentially my way and in my company. And it was, it was very exciting. It was risky. I had a little bit of money in the bank, not a whole lot. And my wife, I had her blessing, and I knew that I always had a big safety net. Came from a what I thought was a very supportive family, married into what I thought was, you know, even a bit more supporting family, and just felt with all that love and all that uh, support um, that I couldn't fail. So the journey got very interesting in the spring of 1995. This is when I met Brian Davis and Christian Leitner, back-to-back um, -back, uh, champions, 1991-1992, um, basketball champions. We started to compare notes. We started to look at our references. We, we both had Senator Sanford as one of our references. Um, I was very fortunate that my father-in-law, Tom Cassie, was a trustee emeritus um, at the university uh, when I matriculated. He was also very instrumental in formulating Duke's investment policy and form putting together Duke Management Company, modeled it after Harvard Management. And he was good friends with Senator Sanford, and he was good friends with Mr. Keenan. So when I came to the area, I had some really good um, connections, had a good network, and really felt if I came in here and really busted my butt, stayed focused, some doors would open, and I could create you know, a life for my family. And as I said before, I really wanted to stay in the area. So Brian and I started comparing notes, and we were like, this is interesting. You know, He's like 6'9", tall, dark, and handsome, African-American, really sharp guy. Uh, champion meets me. You know, I'm just almost a little beyond a newly minted NBA, um, and we started thinking we could do something really, really big. And Christian Leitner, you know, big vision, had access to some money, was playing in the NBA, and we're like, you know what? Why don't we take over all of downtown? Um, <laughs> Brian and Christian, you know, Brian and Christian had this neat little vision when they were at Duke of of a little village. Brian grew up in the ghetto. And they thought we could create this little village where you could shop. Maybe people could work there a little bit. You could do dry cleaning. You can eat. And you could live there. And it had, high, it had to have high ceilings. Um, it was something they didn't have at Duke. And you had to allow cats, because somehow they lived in some apartment. And they didn't allow cats or something. <laughs> and these guys are not gay, OK? Um, um, so Brian and I, you know, we started looking at this. And with my tax background, excuse me, I was the one of 11 kids where no one wanted to sit by my dad at dinner time, a big long table as you can imagine. But I just enjoyed sitting next to him because all he would talk about is horror stories about partnership taxation and what you don't do and this and that. And I really, I mean to this day, I find that stuff completely fascinating. Call me, 
you know, strange, call me what you will, but, but that seed that was planted, that interest in tax, the tax code and tax policy, and when I studied a lot of entrepreneurs like Mr. Fuqua, a lot of the reasons they made their mark in the world and their fortune, a lot of it was driven by tax policies, leverage buyouts, you know, using the tax code, not illegally, but using it to your advantage. So. I had this and I was exposed to historic tax credits when I was at Montrose Capital. So Brian and I started looking around, I'm like, hey, this is, we could do something much bigger than that. He went out with Christian, they were uh, playing, uh, Christian was on the Timberwolves and Brian was trying out and we stumbled across all the Ligon Myers warehouses downtown. And I called Brian, I'm like, you're not gonna believe it. They're all for sale, and they weren't marketing them. And then we looked over at the American tobacco warehouses, and those were, had been barbed wire for about 10, 10 years, and we're like, this is unbelievable. Let's go buy all this stuff, let's land bank everything around it, and let's create this huge renaissance in downtown, and everyone will wanna live there and work and shop there. We had no idea how we were gonna do any of this, mind you, but we didn't care. That wasn't the point. The point was we had a vision. And we knew, we almost knew if we built it, they would come. It's one of those things. Um, well, after talking to community leaders and stumbling a little bit, we began to build a team. And we built a team, we, we, we set up Blue Devil Ventures and we built a strong development team, which we thought was you know, strong enough to get the job done. Backed off American Tobacco, focused on Liggett and Myers, had this incredible little village called West Village. And I think that um, it's, it's, it's been a very high impact project for the community. It has, it was 241 apartments, about 36,000 square feet of commercial space, including a restaurant. We're not perfect, it was our first deal, first thing coming out of the box. We got it financed, we stubbed our toe a little on the construction. Uh, two of the buildings in particular have some acoustical issues. We've learned how to build a better mousetrap, um, which you might like, and we're actually expanding West Village now, we're on the verge. We just started construction on a $100 million expansion, so that seed, and that, that initial vision you know, that Brian and Christian had, coupled with my abilities and my um, knowledge of tax and, and our passion for wanting to do something for community, grew into this incredible uh, vision. We invested $40 million, or just shy of that, in 1999 and 2000, and since then, another 150 to 200 million has been invested. We've just broken ground on another 100 million. It's three blocks of Main Street, and I think that we can say now that we have had an impact on Durham, and I feel really, really fortunate to be able to say that. Um, the people in Durham are the greatest asset that you're ever gonna find. Okay, we maybe took the historic buildings and used historic preservation and economic development as a tool for change, but you're just not gonna find the breadth and the depth of people that you're gonna find in Durham. When you get out there, and you're out going out there today, you're looking at, I think it's Kevin McDonald with Trosa, you're gonna love that. This guy is unbelievable. You're going down, you're talking, some of you are gonna go see Greenfield's development in downtown Durham, Mike Lemansky and his crew, Incredible what they're doing down there. Um, the affordable housing, obviously I've got a soft spot in my heart being the chairman of the housing authority. Um, but there's so many people out there in Durham. There's, I, I, think, I think it's unusual. I gotta admit, when I got here I was like, something is, is not right. And something was not right in the politics, mind you, but it seemed like there were too many people that cared. 
And it was like too many people cared. And I was like, this is not the real world. But the more I got out there, there and the more I talked to people, the more I realized that um, you know these are real people. And these people really do care. They've been here a long time. Uh, Brenda Brody with the Seeds Program. I mean, you go through, you go through the offering here. And it's, you know, this thing is sprinkled with the heroes that are in Durham. And they're unsung heroes. They're laid back. You know, they're unpretentious. They're doing their thing. And I think that you have an opportunity as students here to bring many more resources to the table. You're going to get out there and see these people and all they need. Again, I just try to get out of their way. Um, I got involved with the Tourism Authority back in 1999, and I got involved with Downtown Durham, Inc., which is the nonprofit cheerleader in downtown because we own property in 19, I think they recruited me in 1997. Then I was asked by Haywood Holderness, uh, a minister, Westminster uh, Church, to get involved in the social services, uh, Durham County Social Services Board, because we own property next to him, and he knew that I cared about, you know, trying to help people who, um, who maybe you know don't have as many resources at their disposal as, as we might, and it just kind of grew. It, it you know I just got involved. I was lucky. I got to stay in one place. I think the the beauty of West Village taking as long as it did, it made me stay in one place for for an extended period of time. Um, having four young girls in my family. And then being involved in real estate, I had to learn to become very patient. And I wasn't a very, very patient person um, when I came to Durham. Uh, you know, I, I just really kind of wanted to have it. Not necessarily now, but I was, I, I, it was hard for me to, to, to get involved in something that I thought would take 10 years. I mean, that, that was not my idea of, of, of where I belonged. But at the same time, I did look well into the future. I would look 21 years into the future and try to plan, but at the same time, my personality was not was such that I, I can't sit in one place very long to work on a project. So um, I learned to be patient, and I think it was God's way of, 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 of keeping me in one spot at, at, for a certain period of time. And I knew one thing. I knew one thing from listening to, to my father-in-law and listening to Senator Sanford and listening to Mr. Keenan. We called them the octogenarians. And I would listen to them. I would study them. The one thing that I heard, actually, was Mark Rogers, the former CEO of the medical center. He said to me after a meeting, when Brian and I went in there and laid out this big vision, and we were trying to see where the strategic plan of the medical center was and how we could fit him into our plan, lease some space, um, he was like, there's one guy that's permanent in Durham, and everyone else is a visitor. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, Senator Sanford. You know, he's the former president of the university, you know, former governor, you know, U.S. senator. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, he's the only guy, you know, that's been around here the whole time and is the only guy that's going to be around here the whole time. All of us are visitors. And I left that meeting. I looked at Brian. I'm like, you know what? And I didn't want to put myself on the level of, of Senator Sanford, but I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to stay in one place, you know, for as long as I possibly can. And I think that's a good business strategy. I'll be able to turn that into something. And really, that is, is a very simple approach to what I've done since I've got here, since I've gotten here. 17 years, stay in one place, stay focused, get involved, and don't spread yourself too thin. <laughs> Total understatement. Um, you know, <laughs> I never follow my own advice. Um, 
But I got the, the Durham Housing Authority, the Durham Social Services Board, um, the Tourism Authority, and this one I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Father Joe. Uh, three years ago I got involved in a, in a really incredible uh, mission, which is um, uh, the Newman Catholic Student Center here on Duke. And again, I know that the Catholics might be the largest percentage here on campus, but let me tell you, we're challenging ourselves and we're, we feel responsibility to provide leadership for all faith-based initiatives, okay? Y'all are graduates. You go over there and look at these undergraduates. I mean, you guys are much smarter than we were. You've got access to all this technology. You know how to do things quickly. Look at these undergraduates. And what blows me away is their leadership abilities, okay? Their passions, their passion to want to change the world. Does anyone here want to change the world? Really change the world? It's okay. And world defined, again, um, you know, your world can be your, your team group. You know, your world can be Durham, your world can be uh, North Carolina, your world can be, you know, the world. I mean, you can get cosmic, whatever you want. Um, <laughs> back to Father Joe, okay? Um, really neat mission. I got involved with him, and we've got a great uh, Newman Center. The Falcon Arena House is over on Buchanan Drive. We've just opened that up. I would uh, encourage anyone of any uh, faith denomination to, to head on over there. Um, as I guess there's, there's, there's one quote that, um, that I wanted to give to you. In 1999, I think, Brian Christian and I got an award, a visionary award for downtown for the work for West Village. And again, you get into these team environments, you know, it's all about role playing, it's all about, you know, someone's got to coach, someone's got to lead. But at the same time, um, on the plaque we've got, it was a quote by Margaret Mead, and I think uh, Matt Nash was saying he almost had T-shirts with this quote put on it. You never doubt that a small group of committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that has. You have the ability. You, 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 you. A, a group can be one or two. In my opinion, two people, okay, can be this group. Um, it, it's tough to go alone, but don't think for a minute it's got to be some really big, you know, incredible, uh, organized initiative, okay? If you feel it in your heart, run with it. Run with it, okay? While you're here at Fuqua, try to figure out, you're going to get the technical skills, you're going to take some risk, try to figure out what makes you tick, okay? I spent a lot of time over the years, um, a lot of time over the years reading self-help book after self-help book. I mean, I'm, I'm a really sick guy. Um, <laughs> totally. I mean, I know I'm weird, but uh, it's just the way that I am. Um, and my wife will, uh, don't call her, by the way. Um, but there was one book in particular that I, I kind of wanted to recommend, because it's, and maybe it's just where I'm at in my life right now, okay? You know, first I'd say, I wish I read more of the Bible growing up, and when I was at Fuqua, that became much more important to me as I got out into the real world. But as far as self-help books besides the Bible, or what it is you choose to, to read, um, there was a book by Robin Sharma, and it was um, The Monk That Sold His Ferrari. And, and it, there's a series of books, and, um, but this one kind of laid out seven, seven points, seven point strategy, and it, it really kind of put my uh, life in perspective. One was to master your mind, okay? 
Master your mind. I have not done that, but I'm trying. Follow your purpose. I think I'm making real good progress there. Um, practice, I think it's Kaizen, or Kaizen, okay? Um, it's continuous improvement. Um, there's a quote here from Confucius. Uh, good people strengthen themselves ceaselessly, okay? If I was to grab one quote that kind of defines what I've been trying to do really for 43 years is every day I'm trying to improve myself, okay? Not at the expense of others, okay? But there's something I can do. There's something I can do to get better and not drive my wife crazy. Um, live with discipline, okay? Respect your time. Respect your time, okay? Another quote on time. All right, got Gandhi here, I got some good stuff. Um, he was a dude, wasn't he? Um, he was the man. Um, I lost my time quote. Okay, it goes something like this. Don't say you don't have enough time, okay? We all got the same amount of time. You got the same amount of time as Helen Keller had. You got the same amount of time as Albert Einstein had. You got the same amount of time Gandhi had, okay? Respect your time. Selflessly serve others, okay? and embrace the present, all right? Live today, this is a little morbid, and I wouldn't recommend this to you just yet because you might run out of here, but I try to do this. Live it as if it were your last, okay? Doesn't mean, you know, tomorrow, you know, we're, we're dead, but if you really live your life like this is your last day or start out with that thought, you're gonna put your priorities in perspective and it's probably gonna have an impact on you. It's helped me a lot, okay? This is the final page of the book. The Taj Mahal, one of the seven wonders of the world. Julian replied, my point is simple. Everyone on this planet is a wonder of this world. Every one of us is a hero in some way or another. Every one of us has the potential for extraordinary achievement, happiness, and lasting fulfillment. Okay, all it takes, you love this, okay, all it takes are small steps in the direction of our dreams. Okay, like the Taj Mahal, a life overflowing with wonders is built day by day, block by block, small victories lead to large victories. Okay, the incremental changes and improvements such as those I've, as I have suggested will create positive habits. Positive habits will create results and results will inspire you towards greater personal change. Begin to live each day as if it were your last. Starting today, learn more, laugh more, and do what you truly love to do. Do not be denied your destiny. For what lies behind you and what lies in front of you matters little when compared to what lies within you. Okay? These words have been inspirational to me. I didn't talk a lot about, you know, how great my business is. Did you notice? I mean, it... it, it I, West Village and being part of that vision and seeing 150 million in capital come together, it took 10 years, but hey, good things take a while. And knowing we got 50 million teed up with HUD and our tax credit investor, and knowing that I'm working with the governor up in Maine um, um, on a big strategy to have the same kind of impact, real needs up there. If you think we're poor, go on up to Maine, okay? We may all be the same color up there, you know, very little diversity. Um, but really, really poor people that have really, really uh, strong needs. I've really been blessed. Huge vision up there, it, it's going well. Everything goes well if you find yourself, okay, and you can just kinda set that moral compass, okay? 
don't get stressed out about everything. Okay, I did it, I did it for, I still do it. Don't do it, um, you know, don't do what I do. Um, you know, if you're upset or you're stressed, do something different. Change your posture, go run, go talk to someone, do something different. Don't sit there and stew in it, okay? You are the future leaders of these communities, okay? You're the future entrepreneurs. And I think from a social, if there was a social entrepreneur that I've studied, because now I went through everything. I didn't even know what social entrepreneurship was until I, I heard it maybe three years ago. And then I got really organized to come over here and talk to you. But <laughs> yeah. hey, OK. Um, but there, there is one social entrepreneur based on all of my readings to date. And again, it's just because of my background. Don't think I'm pushing uh, Catholicism here. Um, I am pushing faith-based living and, and good uh, you know, service to others and, and, and following your dreams. But I read a book. It was called, I think it's called Heroic Ambitions or Heroic Leadership. But it's a history of the Jesuit faith. And it's all about you know, several Jesuits, but specifically their founder, which was Ignatius Loyola. It was unbelievable. I'm thinking, I like this guy. You know, save the celibacy thing. I fit right in. Um, I'm telling you, I'm willing to sacrifice a lot, you know, for community, you know, for God and, and community. But um, OK, back to the point. Um, so it, it's like the Jesuits, they studied the, the Benedictine monks. And they're like, we can't sit around and all come into the, uh, and, and pray seven times a day together. There's like too much work to do. We've got to go save souls. That was their, their calling. We're going to save souls. So these guys are out all over the world. And I think they talk about always having one foot up because they're on the run. And what they would do is pray on the run. They'd pray on the run three times a day. You know, so again, I was taught by the Benedictine monks. I went to the Priory School in St. Louis, and I was fortunate enough to be taught by the Jesuits um, in high school. And I've been very fortunate to have the Franciscan friars in my life at Immaculate Conception. Coach K has been a big influence in my life. And it's, it's different strokes for different folks, OK? But find yourself someone that you can, you can kind of latch onto, all right? Especially if you have a weakness, OK? I've already explained a lot of my weaknesses, but if you're here and, and you have a fear of something, I wish you'd share it with someone and then gravitate to some, someone who's very different who might, might help you. My example was I went over to the law school to take securities law and I was scared to death you know, with the Socratic method that I was going to be made a fool um, coming from the business school. But I think because I went over there with a humble attitude and Professor Cox you know, realized that he better cut us some slack or we're really going to look foolish against these uh, top-notch law students, um, it worked out OK. OK, it was, it was really the attitude and I think the understanding. But the point of the story is do something you're afraid to do, OK? Don't play it safe, all right? Don't play it safe here at Fuqua. Don't play it safe in the community. I'm not saying get out there and upset everyone. But, but, but take some risks. Take some, take some risks. Explore your, um, your destiny. Get to know yourself. And just, just go do it. All right? So with that, I'm just going to kind of uh, turn it over to you and, and answer questions if you have any. Mm -hmm. Yes? Yeah, was there like, a point in your life? I think that many of us have all these ideas that run through our mind, how to make the world a better place, how to help people. 
Um, was there a point when it came all together where you you got your focus on not only what you, what you wanted to do in the business world and how you wanted to make your money, but how you really wanted to help people instead of just trying to attack everything? Yeah, yeah. Well, that it's go within, look at yourself, okay? Because there was a trend of what I was doing. Everyone else would look, oh, what's the method to Tom's madness, okay? To me, it was a very consistent, predictable pattern. You know, I was like, I'm the most consistent guy out there, okay? Remember, I had a long-term plan, okay? If you have a long, if you, it was just, I want to come here and I want to be successful. I want to work my butt off and I want to be successful. That's good enough. And you define success. Don't beat yourself up on, on how are you going to save the world, okay? Work on yourself and get your core principles, all right, and set your moral compass, all right, because you're going to be tested, all right? Set that trend in, in line, okay? All right, and then you'll feel your way, okay? If you're praying to someone or you're relying on someone, don't try to figure it all out, okay? I can't figure it out. There is no way we can figure all this out. All I do is analyze everything. I drive myself crazy. All right? Oh, one other point. Do not leave Fuqua if you can't write a business plan, okay? If, you know, if you're weak in marketing or numbers or what, you know, at least find a way. That's my, don't leave without being able to write a business plan, okay? Um, I don't know if that helps you, okay? But you'll find your way. And it's not about the money. You know, you're not here. You're going to make a living, all right? Or you shouldn't be sitting here, right? We're going to make a living, right? You can always get a job in the, in the, well, I shouldn't, I don't want to offend anyone. I'm really entrepreneurial and I knew I didn't want to work for a big company, but again, it's all changing, but don't think you can't go take over General Motors, all right? You know, don't think for a minute the big companies are dead, okay? One thing that's for sure is change, all right? And that's why you're always going to have to change. So set the trend, set your principles, okay? And then get up in the morning and go at it, and you're going to feel your way. You will figure it out. It took me, it's still coming together. It's still coming together. Uh, yes? Uh, have you always been a risk taker? And can you tell us a little bit about intelligent risk taking? Um, I don't know if I can comment on intelligent risk taking. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of how I think I was just wired. I wasn't really a daredevil growing up, but I just wasn't afraid. Um, you know, so I would say since the time I was eight, you know, didn't make all the best decisions, you know, as a, as a young kid and as an adolescent, but was always looking for, you know, how are we going to make money? You know, how can we, you know, I played poker, try to make money. You know, we'd sell lemonade, try to make money. We'd do other things I'm not going to mention. we try to make money. Um, but always, I was just wired that way, you know. So when I wake up in the morning, I knew that I was going to be in a risk Type situation. You know, you were in my family, it was a risk if there was going to be food on the table. Um, it was going to be a risk if you could get to the bathroom on time. Um, I was always in a risk situation and I was just comfortable. It just kind of grew on me. So when I got into the business world, it was just um, kind of old hat almost. Um, right now, I, again, the challenge to me is to still not be afraid. I could get really comfortable where I am. You know, I could just play golf, I could just go to Palm Beach, I could just hike, I love to hike, and I could say, you know, I've done my part, okay? So right now, I'm trying to figure out what's the next big risk that I take. And I really would like to challenge you all, I'd like you all to help me figure it out, okay? How can I take the Duke Catholic Leadership Council, okay, my experience in this community, okay, 
and my willingness to want to get Duke all charged up. All right, how can I pull all that together? Okay, because that's the one thing I've been trying to do my whole life is leverage off every life experience. Everyone and then push myself and put people around me that are going to push me, they're going to hold me accountable, and they're going to challenge me. Okay, and I need you all to think about that. Okay, we are sitting on our laurels at Duke to a certain degree. At the same time, we're doing incredible work. Okay, let's, 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 let's respectfully challenge uh, Duke, and let's respectfully try to pull together how we can take all of this. This community is so great, and this university is so great. Um, how can we solve Durham's problems? Um, it's unacceptable, the condition we're in. Okay, Sam's doing great work. John Burness and a lot of folks are doing good work, but we're not, we're not, we're not quite collaborating and, and synergizing the way we should. Sorry. Um, Yes. The you heard of the uh, unfortunate poverty statistics in Durham. Mm -hmm. What do you see as the one or two, two or three things that are going to start to change the direction of the um, uh, leadership, leadership, leadership. Um, I don't want to be um, negative towards our existing leadership because I think every trend that I see is positive. But John Burness said he pointed out the dichotomy. I mean, we're the we're one of the richest counties, one of the most well-educated counties. We've got one of the highest poverty rates, and we've got one of the highest literacy rates. Um, I don't care if someone's 65 or 70. I think we should have everyone should be literate. Everyone should be able to read and write, okay? Um, and we, we should not accept, you know, any illiteracy in our community. We, sh we have a 14 to 15% poverty rate, and we shouldn't accept 1% or 2%, okay? Sure, you need a roof over your head. Sure, you need access to, to health care. Sure, you need clothes. Sure, you need to eat. But I think, I think the city of medicine is, is, is old, okay? I think we should be the city of education, and wellness or the city of opportunity. I just think we've got to change, okay? Things are working, but they're not getting better for lots of people, okay? And we don't want to let two generations of people just fall by the wayside. It would be too easy to do that. Um, so, yes? Was there a time when you questioned yourself whether you're going the right way, especially right after school? And how do you do yeah, I would ask, I'd ask my father-in-law, I'd ask people close to me, but again, every time, I would, I would look pretty much inward. You know, I was, I wouldn't say I was a loner, because I got along with people and I had some friends, but I kept looking within me for the answers, okay? And that really led me to, to strengthening my spiritual life and, and building a, a stronger relationship uh, with God and um, with the people close to me, but I just felt I was on that trend. You know I mean? I never was off the trend. Because I don't know how to ex explain it. It wasn't like I had to be here or achieve this. It was just if things are getting a little better and I'm finding my way and I'm having an impact, I'm okay. You know, even though I'm totally stressed out, and you wouldn't think that that's what I'm thinking inside. And then I'd read books, but I, that's just, that's what guided me. I mean, I just knew. Yeah, again, keep it simple. I just need to get by. You know, I need to have people. I used to tell people, if you don't want to agree to the Ten, ten Commandments, let's agree to three, okay? 
And, and I would just, as long as I was respecting people, as long as I was being honest, and as long as I was getting by, and at the end of the day, if I felt I had done, you know, God's work well, and could look my wife in the eye and my kids and go to bed, I was done. You, you, it, so it's almost, it's, it's hard to disappoint yourself if you keep it simple and just keep looking for ways to gradually improve yourself. You, you'll, you'll do great. Um, yes? How do you involve your family in some of the activities you do? Oh, Jesus. I mean, my kids, you know, Daddy, if we see another old building, we're going to throw up. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, I love old buildings. I'm mills, and um, it, it's just, it's a mission, you know? I mean, there's no differentiation. I, I try to turn it off. And the way I turn it off is really just being there and trying to focus, you know, just on the kids and, and being available. But there's, um, there's no differentiation. I'm a man on a mission. I mean, it's a mission. I don't feel that I'm working. I don't feel, you know, that I'm really playing. Um, I think I'm having a good time. But I feel a, a sense of responsibility. And my family knows that. And they accept that. And it's starting to, you start to see you start to see a little bit in your kids. You know, you got to give kids a little more room nowadays. And little girls, I mean, you know, um, you can't, I can't deal with them like you deal with little boys. So um, they've just accepted me the way I am, and they've become a part of it. And even my employees, I got to tell you how great I feel. I have an older African-American gentleman who's my chief operating officer. We sat down yesterday, and he said, you know, I just don't feel like I'm working. You know, we're on a mission. And he's getting a second win. And this is a total bureaucrat, total city. He, uh, former assistant city manager, eight years at HUD. You know, and I'm like, you turn this little company into bureaucracy and your butt's out of here, okay? Um, but he's good for me. He's different. But he just, that's the kind of thing now that just gets me excited. And I'm trying to get more passionate, okay, just about my kids' future. You know, let's build this legacy. So I'm at a point in my business and really my social leadership career to where I can take a little more time. We took my daughter to St. Louis U this week and moved her in. I've got another daughter going off to boarding school, and I'm going to be there. You know, I've got my business, and I've got my sense of direction and my, my, my strategies of giving back and being a part of something much greater than myself all in, in hand. You know, I mean, I couldn't ask for anything more. So I guess the next seven years will be much more about um, what we can do as a family rather than just uh, Tom driving his mission and them having to put up with it.